Thank you, Timothy. You know, if you're my age or a little bit older, uh, you'll remember an old rock band from the 60s and 70s, and I think they still play some today, but they were at their zenith in the 60s and 70s, The Who. And in 1971, they had this hit entitled, I Won't Get Fooled Again. And towards the end of that song, Roger Daltrey, the lead singer, lets out this iconic scream and then belts out, meet the new boss, same as the old boss. How many of you over the past 10 days, over the past week and a half, have wanted to scream and belt out, meet the new year, same as the old year? (laughs) You know, it seems to me that uh, the people are having a really hard time saying Happy New Year this year. Maybe uh, you've said Happy New Year to somebody you were passing out on the path or uh, on the road or the office, and you said Happy New Year, and they said, well, uh, I hope so. I hope so. Uh, The reason, I think, for that is that happiness, by and large, is based on circumstances. It's based on the externals. I'm happy because I'm going to Disneyland, or I'm not happy because I can't go to Disneyland. So what is happening around us today? Well, thankfully, we have a vaccine. I think we're learning better ways to distribute it, efficient ways to distribute it in the population. But that pandemic is still taking pretty big swings at us. When it comes to politics, I mean, you just have to think about this last week. If it's not a mess right now, it'll do until one gets here. We are still struggling with issues of race. There are questions about the economy. We still have hungry children. There is sex trafficking all across the United States. It seems that more and more people are on edge. People are becoming more and more thin-skinned, more and more impatient. If the key word in 2020 was unprecedented, then the key word of 2021, at least at the beginning of the year, is going to be uncertainty. The key word of 2020 is unprecedented. The key word for 2021, at least at the beginning of the year, is going to be uncertainty. There are questions that persist into 2021 from 2020. How are my kids going to make it through the rest of the school year? Will I be able to get a job when I graduate? Who can come to my wedding? Or will I be able to have a honeymoon? Or who can come to the funeral? When will I, or us, or we, be able to travel safely? How long am I going to have to wear a mask? Am I going to have to wear a mask for the rest of my life? When will church get back to normal? When will life get back to normal? I mean, you get the idea. It's in times like these that we and a lot of other people in our world, in our nation, in our church family, ask the questions, where is God and what is God doing? Two questions. Where is God and what is God doing? And the answer is, He's right here right now, and He is doing some of His best work in our lives in this year. Now, we're about to have an oh yeah moment. You know how you're having a conversation with somebody, and maybe there's something that you haven't thought about in a long time, something that has not been at the forefront of your thinking, and in the conversation somebody says something, it triggers something in your memory, and you go, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah, that's right. We're about to have an oh yeah moment. And here it is. Your favorite Bible stories happened in times of uncertainty. 
Your favorite Bible stories happened in times of uncertainty, which means, just kind of as an aside here, that the Bible is the most relevant book in your life right now. The stories, the scriptures, the teaching, the experience of people of faith in the Bible is incredibly important and relevant right now. But as a part of that oh yeah moment, I'm going to give you two truths and then we're going to talk about how that works its way out in some of our favorite Bible stories. Truth number one, God is always present though we don't always see Him. God is always present though we don't always see Him. Truth number two, God is always at work though we don't always know how. God is always at work, though we don't always know how He is at work. That is why we need to always remember that God is not absent and that God is not asleep. And understanding that and believing that and believing that with all of your heart and body and soul and mind, that God is at work and that God is present is going to affect how you handle all of the adversity, the questions, and the uncertainties of this next year. Now, a couple of examples. Think about the call of Abraham. Abraham is of the line of Seth, which is that line that calls upon the name of God. And yet, by the time we get to Genesis chapter 11, Abraham is no longer in that area uh, where uh, Seth and all of that began. He is now in a polytheistic culture. And not only that, he and his, his wife are not able to have a son, which means that his future is in doubt. He doesn't have an heir. He doesn't have someone that's going to carry that name forward. He is now in life at a dead end, and, and he has no future in sight until God shows up with an alternative future for Abraham's life. Point being, God was present. God was at work. Another example, how about the Exodus? Israel is in crisis. They're not in the promised land. They're not anywhere near it. They're in Egypt. And not only are they in Egypt, but they, but they have spent over four centuries in, in enslavement. Cruel and harsh enslavement. The promise of the promised land is far away. And on top of that, they had this really great hope. There was this Jewish man who had been adopted by a princess of Pharaoh of Egypt. He had now become a popular prince of Egypt, but he has had to flee for his life, not help his people, but flee for his life and has disappeared in the Median Desert. But God is working on a great exodus. God was present. God was at work. David and Goliath. David and Goliath, Israel is in crisis, only this time it's not Egypt, it is the Philistines, and they have this giant, nine-foot, six-inch warrior by the name of Goliath. And the armies of Israel and the armies of Philistia have met each other in the valley of Elah, and Israel is in crisis, they're still made it, because nobody will go out there in the middle of that valley and fight Goliath. And they're asking, what? how can this happen? Goliath is taunting God. Goliath is taunting Israel and the people of God. And the people of God are thinking, how in the world are we going to get out of this? God is present and God is at work in the life of a teenager by the name of David. And David defeats Goliath because God was present and God was at work. One last example, Daniel and the lion's den. You remember that Daniel, again, Israel's in crisis. They are now in exile in Babylon. 
Daniel is a Jewish man who has been able to rise through the ranks, has risen, you know, climbed the ladder in, 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 with the Babylonians. And at a certain period of time, praying to God has become outlawed. But because he's a man of faith, he is caught praying to God. He is sentenced to die by being thrown into a lion's den. He's thrown into the lion's den. He's sealed up through the night. The next morning when it's opened up, he's still alive because God was present. God was at work. Well, those are Bible stories. What about some of the scriptures that are really close and near and dear to us in our hearts? Think about Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of what? The shadow of death, I fear nothing. I will fear no evil. You're in the valley of the shadow of death, but you will fear no evil. Why? Because God is present. You are with me. Your rod and your staff, the, the tools, the implements of the shepherd for work, they comfort me. Over in Philippians chapter 4, a famous verse for a lot of us, you know, Paul is writing to the church of Philippi, and in the fourth chapter, right before he gets to verse 13, he's talking about, you know, I know what it's like to be content in all circumstances. I've been in want, and I've been in need, and I've had plenty. But here's the key to being content, to being satisfied, to having joy, to all of these things, regardless of the circumstances, it's this. I can do all things through Him who is present and strengthens me. We're looking at uncertainty, and it looks like a wall throughout the rest of this year in terms of you know, what we know and what's going to happen. But uncertainty is not unassailable because of the nature of God. Remember what Jesus said when he was challenged on a healing on the Sabbath? He says in John chapter 5, My Father, God, your Father, God, is always at His work, always add his work to this very day, and I too am working. If, if you were to go into 2021 with your eyes open, this is what I would want you to think about. When God moves, and you have to have your eyes open to see it, when God moves, messes become miracles. When God moves, messes become miracles. Now, to, to get to that place where our eyes are open, there are a couple of things that we need to accept and to do in our life. I'm going to give you three. The first one is this. You've got to learn how to accept finiteness. There are just certain things that are important for us to get our minds around as, as human beings, and this is one of them. Humans are finite and uncertainty is a reality that we live with. We do not possess all power. We're very bad at predicting the future. We sometimes make bad decisions. We are finite, and that uncertainty at times is a reality to live with because we are finite. We are too finite to handle this on our own. And it's okay to admit that. That this is bigger than me. We look to the one who is infinite in his wisdom, his power, and his love to, make us, to, to help us make it through 2021. So we accept our finiteness. We are humans. We're human beings. But then number two, embrace mystery. God is, is bigger than you can imagine. God, there is more to God than you can conceive. 
God is more loving than you can believe. And you, as a finite human being, are not going to be able to understand every thought, every move, the hiddenness of God. It's a mystery to finite people. In Isaiah chapter 55, God is speaking to Israel. Crisis. And this is not, this is not just a truth that he states. Isaiah writes that this is something that the Lord declares. When you declare something, you're emphasizing that this is something that is true to be believed and to be embraced. He says, my thoughts, in verse 8, are not your thoughts. There is a big gap between my thoughts and your thoughts and God's thoughts. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. We accept the fact that we are finite. We embrace the the mystery that is the movement of God. God moves in what? Mysterious ways. Chuck Swindoll said in a sermon nearly 40 years ago that God is God and nothing less. People are people and nothing more. So true. Amen? So because that's true, we walk faithfully. In Hebrews chapter 13, beginning in verse 5, God has said one of my favorite verses in the entire Bible, Never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. And because that's true, because God is saying, I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. We can say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. Regardless of the uncertainty, I will not be afraid. What can mere mortals do to me? Some weeks ago I spoke on how joy, one of the uh, components, the virtues of the fruit of the Spirit, it, you know, it's, joy is something that we experience as disciples of Jesus that is generated by the Spirit of God. And that joy does not replace suffering or uncertainty, but it overlaps it. Joy is a sign that everything that we need has been taken care of, that every question we have, even if we don't know the specifics of it, we know that God has that answer and He holds it in the power of His hand. That we are not focused on temporary realities, but external, uh, eternal realities. You know, when, um, when we take groups to Israel, there is a place in Jerusalem that we visit called the, the, the Cynical, or it's the upper room, where Jesus has the Last Supper uh, with his disciples right before he's crucified. To be honest, in, in all likelihood, this is not the place where it happened. But it is a place to consider what was happening that night when Jesus is having this, this meal with his disciples on the night that he's betrayed. So Jesus has gone to Jerusalem, right? It's not looking very good for him at all. It, it's looking like, although he's done all of these miracles, I mean, just miracle after miracle, he's fed thousands of people who didn't have food. He's even raised people from the dead. The people... And this is why we have to accept our finiteness. We, <laughs> our judgment at times is not to be trusted. But the people are beginning to turn against him. And so on that night, while they're celebrating the Passover, Jesus is with his closest friends. 
And these men, over three years or so, have learned to trust each other, to love each other, to, to, but they're struggling. And that struggle is about to get even more sharp because as they're celebrating this Passover meal, Jesus tells his best friends. He says, one of them is going to betray him. And you know how the story rolls out, right? They all begin to ask, is it me? Is it me? Is it, is it I? Why are they doing that? Because the week is going south. They know that if something bad happens for the master, it's going to happen to them. And they had all at some point thought that it might be in their best interest to betray him. The thought that had occurred to Judas had occurred to them all. Is it me? To make matters worse, Jesus says, you know, you're all going to fall away. You're all going to run away. And, and Peter, and love him, says, you know, these other guys, calls them out. These other guys may, may betray you and they, they may run away and fall away, but not me. I'll die with you. And Jesus says, uh, Peter, slow down. I'm going to tell you the most frightening thing you're ever going to hear. Satan knows your name, and he has asked by name you, Peter, that he might sift you like wheat. And it happens just as Jesus says. You know, later that night, after all of this is being said, Judas shows up in the garden. He betrays Jesus with a kiss. And Jesus is arrested, and he's beaten, and he's mocked, and eventually he's crucified. This is a really rough period of time for these disciples. And it's, 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 it, it's not without reason that they are behind closed doors afraid. And if you were to ask the disciples what was the worst moment in their lives as they were following Jesus, they probably would have said those three or four days when everything was going south. And Jesus tells us that we're going to betray him and to fall away and to deny him. And it was when he was arrested and he was beaten and he was crucified. And we wondered if it was going to happen to us. And when it looked like God was absent and asleep. If you were to ask those same disciples what was the best moment in their life, they probably would have said the same three or four days when God was present even though we didn't see it. And God was at work even though we didn't know how, changing the world. God was at work in Christ, opening a door through death in order for us to be able to go into eternity. It may not be happy circumstances, but I'm telling you, church, the reality of what God has accomplished through Christ and is making known to us every day through His Spirit in us. It may not be a happy new year, but I guarantee you it is a joyful new year. Stand and sing.